Welcome to your Making It Worse. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. We're here. We're queer. Meh. Textual healing. So, you guys probably saw this in the news this week. A Greece's parliament voted on Thursday to extend equal marriage and automatic parental rights to all of the country's 10.5 million citizens and to allow same-sex couples to adopt. Well, I'm not going to Greece Your ancestry. Your ancestry. Right. (laughs) Right. Your Greek ancestry. That is correct. To be honored. Ancestry. Now, this might seem like a no-brainer because Western Europe has been in support of gay marriage for ages, but Greece is the first majority Christian Orthodox country to take this step. Uh, Now, this is... So, this is funny. I grew up... uh, uh, My mom would talk about... My parents, as we've discussed many times, are not religious at all. But my mom, we would still celebrate holidays. In particular, Easter, we would celebrate it with the Greek Orthodox Church. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. I just don't... I don't know what Greek Orthodox is. I just assumed it was some sort of, like, subsect of a Jesus thing. And... um, and then I subsequently, you know, over time, you know, you especially I think I think it was when I moved to New York, I would walk around and you would see Russian Orthodox churches and like Bulgarian Orthodox churches. And you're like, what is this Orthodox thing? And so I did a little bit of research about the difference between the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. And it turns out it's actually very boring and I won't get into it. That said, um, the Orthodox Church is just generally associated with more conservative parts of uh-huh. the the world currently. Well, what and did what did it look like at your like? What does that look like in the Sullivan home? It was literally a week. It was just we celebrated uh, uh, Easter one week later because Greek, oh. Greek Easter was always like a week after regular Easter. Were there activities? And, was there a roast of some kind? We my mom would always make a leg of lamb for Easter. Yep, I love it. Leg of lamb, and she actually we actually make that for Christmas now. That's like wow. our, my Elliot got Christmas super dinner. excited about that leg of yeah. lamb. I love the idea of Brent being like in a, in an ethnic home, like <laughs> like having to having to live through some sort of like ethnic flair. I love that. I don't know why I love him having to. Well, but my like, mom has a lot of Greek pride. She has a lot, yeah. and I have very very little. I know, um, and I've always historically been like Brent, embrace yeah. it. It's so. Yeah. Yeah, the food, the culture, it's so yeah. exciting. I have actually started making some of her Greek Greek dishes and Oh, like really what kind of dishes? Yeah. Uh well, it's called uh, Spanakopita. Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Yes. She calls it budekia. Um mm. I make some rice she made. I make some a chicken recipe. Yum. And I make her her Greek rice pudding. Ooh. What's um, wait, wow, what makes it different really... from the other rice pudding? I don't know. It's actually very simple. And I, I, I sort of describe it as like, um, you know, horchata. Yeah. It's basically like a meal version of horchata. Oh. But I, I make it every once in a while. It's, it's just I love a Greek pastry. milk and sugar. I love it. Uh, like desserts, Greek incredible. desserts and pastries oh. and like just incredible Greek sweets are just so delicious. Well, this is why I've invited uh, Brent in particular to the uh, – Greek festival in Long Beach. It's yes, fun. it's <laughs> wonderful. It's, it's no, wonderful. It's the not. food is wonderful. It's super annoying. <laughs> it's at a church, and it's. Oh, I mean, I like it. Bu- I liked it for oh. the food and stuff, but I was just sort of like, "This is too much. I gotta go." <laughs> <laughs> I love the yeah. dancing and the food and the the family element. Oh, it's yeah. just, I, I love there, it. There is. I, I can't help it. There is something about whenever, <laughs> whenever. 
Um, I'm going to say, I guess, ethnic in quotes, because, you know, it could be quite literally any, you know, any sort of first generation family. Whenever I see them celebrating sort of their heritage, I think it always looks so dumb. I feel bad <laughs> saying that, but I do. I can't well, help it. There's no. this guy I follow on Instagram who's always posting like him, like dancing and mm-hmm. like weddings with his family. And they look so I'm with you. I'm with you because there is something and I'll say this about I'll say this about Jews, too. I'll say this about Christians and like other like other ones that like have these these ceremonies, these things where everyone is supposed to participate and dance and be merry and like go around in a circle and hold hands and all. All, it's what our friend Brandy calls forced merriment. And I hate it. I hate I want to be the hateful person sitting at a table drinking wine and eating the dessert and saying, please go dance well, in a circle. I don't give a fuck, okay, well, but don't drag me yeah, into that. Your fucking circle. I don't want me out of it. I don't want it. To be fair, Judaism is the fun exception because we embrace the, the misery of it all. And I, and, and I don't think we shy away from the sort of, you know, the, 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 um, neuroses and the, I don't the know, Elliot. The, the I've been to many but, a but Jewish all... event where I've been dragged into something where I'm just like, can I just go complain in the corner? <laughs> oh, that's every Jewish event. No, see, though. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, no, you can complain. You can complain of course. Event. But there's also like the, the, Oh, you're a happy person. Come dance in this circle and let's hold hands and sing mm, this song. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, there's and, and yes, and yes, that's West. That's yes, there are. West Coast and there are people complaining in the corner. You're right. But what I'm saying is, it's the dragging, it's the forced merriment of the, yeah, the thing. Forcing. And I forced just want to be in the corner. I understand. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, so wait, now, did your, do you have family members on your mom's side who were also Orthodox? No, I know that my grandmother, Yaya, which we mm, call her Yaya. I yeah, know Yaya yeah. went to church, uh, but I don't think any of, I know my mom's brother does not go to church. I think her, I think dumb bitch Ramona probably i know she has like basic religious beliefs but i don't think she goes to a uh, a greek orthodox church mm. <clears throat> but I, I i yeah i know she's like basically christian i think but it's still so it's still a big deal for this to happen in in greece i guess yeah it, it was a big deal let me let me go back to the sorry even though, Mi- the no, no even though <laughs> even isn't though this, Mykonos isn't this also one of the, where the guy's gonna create that new Fire Island too? We talked about last week. Isn't yes, wasn't that yes. that was also in Greece yeah, that, somewhere? That yeah, dipshit from last week. Yeah. He wanted to to make a new Fire Island. So the interesting thing, and we'll we'll get into this real quick. The Prime Minister um, uh, who who pursued this measure ran on a platform of legalizing gay marriage. It's widely accepted amongst the the, the constituency. However, he comes from a conservative party in the country, and he actually struggled to build a coalition to support uh, to support this gay marriage mm. ban, this gay marriage uh, uh, bill. And and it's just kind of interesting to think that, like, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we had a Republican party, a conservative party that was a, l- a little bit more open? Um, although, uh, to be fair, we did pass a gay marriage bill earlier in 2023, and there were a few Republicans who supported that. So there you go. <clears throat> it's always mm-hmm. good. Wow. Okay. Bye. More importantly, have you gone to Have you gone to Greece? I have never been to Greece. Never once. Um, you should go and reconnect with your roots. I yeah, can't I don't say think... I'm dying. Oh my god! No, go. No. I don't know. My, I, I don't think my mom had even. Don't been go to you want you go to Boise. You want to go to you know Branson, Missouri. <laughs> go to go to Greece. Reconnect with your roots. 
<laughs> you know, like you don't have to go to Mykonos and like go to a circuit roots. party. It's not my roots. My 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 grandmother was born in Athens, you know, probably a hundred years ago now. But that's it. You know, that's the only you know, that's the only connection I feel with Greece. Mm. Um, however, I have been saving a lot of money to, to return to my roots and I'm flying back to Michigan and I'm going to be staying in Flint. I'm going to be staying in Kalamazoo. I'm going to be spending a week, uh, in the suburbs of Detroit just to kind of, again, experience the beauty that is Michigan. Wow. (laughs) Boring. Boring. Go to Greece. Wow. Not even joking. Well, we are here with my dear friend, uh, Kate Stamen London. Hi, Kate. Hi, Elliot. What a fantastic name. It's been a long time coming. Kate Stamen London. You sound like a, it almost sounds like a morning news anchor sort of name. You know what I mean? You know, it it gets even better. It's actually Catherine Ellen Stamen London. So we're really, (laughs) if you want to run out of space on a standardized test, I have a lot of ways for you to do that. (laughs) I still remember, I just want to throw, there was a girl I went to school with with uh in high school who had four names oh do you remember uh, them yes of course carmen i carmen andrea ortiz tello and she insisted <laughs> wow. you call her carmen andrea <laughs> i was like now now i'm gonna call you one or the other i've never insisted on being called Catherine ellen but maybe i should try it you just should little, spice it up a little bit should, but i really want you to like the do time. a cbs mornings moment being like it's 755 <laughs> this is kate mm. <laughs> It's 7.55. If I'm awake right now, it's not by choice. This is Kate's game in London. Now, Kate and I met writing on uh, iCarly. Uh, lived through that together. We sure and, did. Um, we sure did. And uh, But Kate is also an author, uh, a speechwriter, a political activist, and stra- I guess you would say strategist, right? Yeah, that feels like the catch-all way we talk about stuff I've done. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done a little bit of everything. Um I will say my my favorite thing about you is that is your <laughs> relationship with your mother in which she dressed you the way she dressed you as a child and why if you don't if you don't mind sure explaining. so my mom is gay um and I think had you know she's I, what we would sort of refer to as butch but she certainly had some gender expression issues and was married to my father a straight man um they did meet playing softball she did wear a blazer <laughs> to the wedding um, she wore a blazer and- to the wedding she sure did. And and she did um, dress me as a boy for my first couple of years of life. And I really um, rebelled against that and was just now being like, ooh, should I wear the pink scarf? Then do I need to do a pink lip to match? So I think my sort of like deeply feminine expression uh, is, is against sort of the way I, I am I was still just child. obsessed with your mother wearing a blazer to her wedding. How Cynthia Nixon of her. We call a poundstone, yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, the childhood, the Kate's childhood pictures from that those couple of years are. I'm. I, I feel bad because like when you've shown them to me, I'm. I can't. They're hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, the hair in the first place is is awful. Like, if a, if a well, little boy had that hair, do you'd be like, that's terrible. Like, a little girl, you're like, that's not the way we usually <laughs> traditionally think of gender expression, and certainly not the way we thought of it in 1983. And it's it it wasn't it wasn't great. But but you know, she was a dapper little. Wait, gentleman. where 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 were you raised? <laughs> um, uh, New York City and Montclair, New Jersey. Oh, so where lesbians thrive oh. then. 
Yeah. Yes, that's okay. right. Mm-hmm. So that's your mom right. Was- Although so I think we- you can put us just about anywhere, and we'll do fine. <laughs> I, I, I've even I've even heard about lesbians on the Antarctic. So truly, oh. they are everywhere these well, days. Well, Jodie Foster did be true detective, and that's somewhere near the Antarctic. That's right. That's right. I think that's I think that's northern. So what? When did your mom come out then, or is she still married to that that guy? <laughs> that guy, my dad. Her dad? My guy, your dad. <laughs> no, she came out to me when I was fifteen, and at that time, she had been with her partner, who's still her partner for five years, and so that was when I learned that mom's best friend Liz was actually more than mom's gal pal Liz. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they've been together ever since. Did you have any idea before before no, she told you? I did not. Wow. Really didn't. And how did you take it? Like, what was that like? It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I mean, I was, I was hoping you'd be really bigoted about it, but yes, go <laughs> ahead. I'm glad it was fine. <laughs> I, it was, it was, um, I was very surprised. And I think, I think it, it was more, I was more hurt that she hadn't told me mm. than I was that she was gay. And then, and of course I was, you know, sort of dealing with my own sexuality stuff, which I hadn't told her about yet. And so it was like, okay, well this is, I knew other gay people. It wasn't a big deal. You know, Montclair, New Jersey is like one of the liberalist towns in the country. Yeah. So it just wasn't, it wasn't a problem from that standpoint. And it was more like, oh, wow, you just, this person that I've known as one thing for five years is actually someone different in your life. And I didn't know. But then, you know, sort of once you know, you you figure it out. and It's not a big deal. Yeah. This is this is a fairly consistent theme that we've discussed on the podcast, but it's something that I struggled with when I came out. And I think I would probably struggle with even more if a parent came out, which is I don't have that kind of relationship with my family. And so the acknowledgement of being gay is, has never been problematic. It's the acknowledgement of sexuality. It's the <laughs> acknowledgement of of horniness and sexual interest and totally and, and i will say as things. um as a romance novelist this is not not a problem in my family <laughs> <laughs> and as a jew i have to say there's no boundaries in my, oh my family God. so Absolutely nothing not. goes unsaid how do you but wait so when you i'm sorry i have to ask brent when you say that that you couldn't talk about it it's like do your your family acknowledges that like sex and romance exists oh, right i mean 100 percent. it's just but we didn't have that and i think a lot of people don't have this uh kind of uh relationship with their parents but we didn't have that kind of relationship where you chatted with your mom about crushes well, like i never that's had what's that. so interesting yeah i never did that either but to me what's interesting about it is the equation of sexuality to sex well, yes i get there is clearly a, a through lane there but to me it's so much more than that it's so much more like the declaration of your sexuality actually to me has very little to do with the act of sex it's not like i'm being like mom i'm gay let's talk about buttholes like i'm i'm like mom i'm gay this is my identity i'm never gonna talk to you about buttholes though don't worry like that's sort of where that's my take on it you know yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you, but it's barely my identity. Yeah. So not, <laughs> not, not a whole lot changed when I, when I came out, I guess to me, it all co- does kind of boil down to the sexuality yeah. element, but I, I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. Yeah. That's wild. So, I mean, Kate, there's a lot to uh, to talk about with you because of our work experience, but I think, you know, um, Alan, you and Alan both share a commonality in that you both worked for Hillary yes. Clinton. What? Yes, I'm, Alan? I'm much, I'm, I didn't know I'm that. many years before you because I was in her Senate office, um, but yes, wow. yes. Senator Clinton. Yeah, I was a Senator Clinton person uh, for a brief time, and then I went to work for Anthony Weiner. 
awkward mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. yeah no do you- i know his ex <laughs> well i know his ex too I know, <laughs> I know i know his ex very well as well yes now did you know sarah Hurwitz, who did michelle obama's speech writing because i'm good friends with her i figured no okay. i didn't yeah that's different well, and she, can i ask you kate how did you get into speech writing i because it's always something that i thought would be really fun but i don't even have any idea how to start down that road so it wasn't, and I wasn't too, I was, um, I was on the digital team on the uh, 2016 uh-huh. campaign. So I was the lead writer for the digital campaign. So basically uh-huh. I was doing, and it's like, basically their digital used to be much more siloed off from other parts of the campaign. But now like, look at 2020, right? Yeah. Everything is digital, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was the one writing the videos that the people were in, but that isn't that different from speech writing anyway? Yeah, sure. um, yeah. That's probably boring. But so I started my career um, working for the labor movement. I worked for the letter carriers, which is your mailman's oh. union. And if you oh, nice. uh, are wondering how to spend your early twenties, I can recommend getting drunk with mailmen in the Midwest. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really great way to spend your early twenties, in my experience. Um, and then. I wanted to move to California. I wanted to go to graduate school for screenwriting. And an old friend of mine um, was working for change.org at that time. And at that time, they did work that was um, more meaningful and relevant, perhaps, Mm -hmm. than than the work that is happening now. Um, And he asked me if I wanted to come and write for them part time, sort of while I was doing the screenwriting thing. And I said, great. And then a colleague who I knew through that work she was hired uh, to run Hillary's digital team, and she said, "Kate, come write for the campaign." And I, of course, said, "No, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna move to Brooklyn and and be broke and give up my whole life." And uh, she was like, "You know, we're old friends. Have a couple phone calls." And so, of course, two weeks later, I did quit my job and moved to well, Brooklyn and give and up I my also, whole life. <laughs> I also think it's important for people to remember historically the digital space in which Hillary existed at that time, because before she even announced she was doing the campaign, there was the Ready for Hillary campaign, and there was that whole yep. digital movement of people I wasn't I was part of that movement of people with bumper stickers saying ready for Hillary and sort of having that sort of anticipation of Hillary running and so that her digital side was incredibly important in 2016. Thank you for saying so and we it was you know I remain incredibly close friends with you know I it was some of the smartest most exciting people I've ever worked with was during that campaign and just you know you're really in the trenches together we were together you know Mm -hmm. from 8 or 9 a.m until midnight pretty much seven days a week for two years and it's like you're gonna be it's like being on a writing staff but with the like fate of democracy yeah like sort of tied into it I guess Elliot knows there would be times on iCarly when things were really you know going off the rails and we would have to rewrite a whole script the day before we were shooting or whatever and people were like this is crazy and it's like guys 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 no matter what happens it's gonna be an episode of iCarly Donald (laughs) Trump isn't going to be president at the end of this like we're gonna make it it's gonna be all right have that now (laughs) where like I mean, even like, because I even have this too sometimes. I mean, I know I'm biased because I love Hillary and I've always been a big supporter of hers. But like that sometimes I'll even look at, I mean, of course at Trump, but look at look at Biden and be like, this could have been Hillary's second term, the end of it or something. You know what I mean? This could have been, and we wouldn't be having this old conversation or we wouldn't be having this conversation or we wouldn't be having these things. And mm-hmm. I sometimes have that thought of like, things could have been a hell of a lot better. But then again, people who hate her say the opposite. So who knows? 
I mean, well, so when you said you worked for her in the Senate, one of my favorite stories about her is when um, she first started uh, in the Senate. And so I guess the state delegation, the New York delegation, both the House and the Senate, they get together once a month to sort of talk about what's going on in New York State. And so when this was in 2016, and a few of the local uh, map reps from the New York City congressional delegation came by the office to talk to us. And they were saying, you know, the senators rarely show up for these meetings. It's usually just the people from the when House. Hillary. And when Hillary was elected, they were like, former first lady, super famous. There is no way she is showing up to this meeting. And of course, not only did she show up to the meeting, yeah. she had an entire binder from the research and the listening tour she had done on her campaign and wanted to hear from everybody else yeah. and let them take the lead. And how can she help? And it, that, to me, me is so emblematic of the sort of person I learned learned of her first and then mm-hmm. knew her to be, um, you know, the sort of person she would write personal thank you emails to yeah. staff for doing our jobs. And just yeah. like, you know, mm-hmm. when she would meet someone on a rope line who was having trouble getting their uncle's cancer treatment covered, she would say, let's get their names. Let's follow up. Let's figure out what we can do. Uh-huh. That was just, uh, you know, kind of person When we're done she recording, is. I have a story for you that I don't want to say, I don't oh. want to say on the record, but I do yeah. want to tell you because you'll absolutely that's, that's love a, it. That's a, Oh my God, really, really redeeming story. I wonder why Susan Sarandon still hates you. But anyway. Uh, By the way, if you ever want to really piss off someone who worked for Hillary in 2016, you need merely utter the word Susan Sarandon and you can oh, really send someone to a It didn't even work for Hillary and I still never watched that fucking bitch on TV. But whatever the fuck she makes, I don't know. She's a ghoul. I'm over it. I'm like, you really um, had to take Bull Durham from me, yeah, Susan. You had to do right. it like what this. Come you, on. You had to stepmom. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I, I do want to. I want to go back to drinking with postal workers, though, because that well, first, is okay. So first of all, I have to interrupt you and say, not postal workers, ladder carriers. There are seven different postal unions, and if you'd ever like to be very oh. bored at a party, you can ask me about the difference between all of them. I can tell you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I remember having this conversation with a friend many years ago. We had, we had just moved to New York, and of course, we're looking for you know day jobs that allow us to pursue comedy and stuff, and. Um, and my friend was like, I think I'm going to try to become a po- like a, a letter carrier. And uh, and I was like, yeah, that actually sounds great. I've always sort of secretly thought it sounds like a fantastic job. And he looked into it and he was like, it is way harder than you think. To become um, one? To become one. It's a long oh. process. I, I actually think the, the Seinfeld joke with that uh, with Wayne Knight was like, with Newman was actually somewhat like close to the reality, which is like you work you work for years to get certain yes. to, to become a letter carrier and then you you get crappy routes and then you aspire to get better routes yes. and then and all this shit but yeah, what was your experience like with it? Oh uh, my gosh. While well, we're digging deep in the archives here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was fantastic. So, I was um a, you know, that the way that union worked, they have sort of young field reps for five regions and my region was the Midwest. And so I spent um, two years sort of traveling uh, around the Midwest and going to different conventions. I was pretty much always the only woman under 30 in any room I walked into, which was just wild. And also right before I had had that job, I was an intern at the human rights campaign Mm. for the coming out project. So it was quite, it was quite a 180 going from, going from the professional gaze to the, to the letter carriers. Um, Like I remember like even coming out at that job was like a big deal at that time like it was Mm. I was like I'm bisexual and they were like explain more like it wasn't even like this was 2005 it wasn't that long ago but it 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 was a tough time but um 
you know, I really, I loved the people I met and especially like the chairs of the state organization. So like the Wisconsin state chair, right? These people would know their senators and representatives in DC Mm -hmm. by first name. And it was really Mm -hmm. cool just to see sort of working people who hadn't necessarily gone to college, but who were super smart, super passionate and dedicated to sort of helping their fellow letter carriers and doing that advocacy work and see that they had real power and real access um, in a way Mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't necessarily think most people who don't have experience with unions would understand that union members have. And I have to say, so I'm a captain in the Writers Guild. I was the captain for iCarly. And like my early experience with the letter carriers and seeing sort of the way they worked for each other um, really sort of stuck with me and was was so moving to sort of be able to, you know, years later become a union member and a captain in my union. And then, of course, with the strike last year, um, sort of really see those same principles in action. Unions are the best. Yeah. Unions really. Unions they, rule, they, they, man. they really do. I need to ask you, though, about being a romance novelist because. Sure. Yeah, I, I, well, yes. Don't you see? Don't these all make sense together? <laughs> they do. I think I think it's all it's a cohesive picture they we're do, painting. But what I love it. But it, what, is. it all started with being dressed as a boy. I'm so sorry. I cut <laughs> no, you you're off. fine. No, what I love about it is like. A, I mean, because I, I'm a big reader. Ellie, or Brent loves to make fun of me because I used to read in, in New York City. I, I, I brought a book to a bar once, and he hasn't lost the joke once. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, I, you, it's a good one. It's a good sure. One. Um, you wrote a book called One to Watch about a plus size blogger asked to star on a Bachelorette like reality show. And one thing I wanted to say is that there is such size discrimination in literature, particularly romance mm. literature, but also like. I'm thinking like, I mean, with the exception of maybe Jennifer Weiner, like there's there's not many sort of like really, tr- I mean, sure, there's like Bridget Jones, but even she wasn't even written as plus size in that way necessarily. So like there's such like a lack of size diversity in romance, rom-com fiction that I love that you did that and you paired it with something that was like a mainstay show that everyone knows. You know what I mean? Like that's a vibe yeah. that is really, really cool. And I just want to commend you for that because it doesn't happen. Oh gosh, it doesn't thank happen you so often. much. Well, I'll say it's much better now than it used to be. And I'm far from a trailblazer in that area. And I would say if you're a reader who's interested in in plus-size heroines in the rom-com space that Talia Hibber and Olivia Dade and Julie Murphy, like there are a lot of really terrific authors um, out there doing the work. And of course, Jennifer Weiner, which like reading Good and Bad was a really like seminal experience for me. In her shoes, my God. That is such a good movie. Didn't that movie come out on 9-11? Is that the movie that came out on (laughs) 9-11? No, that was Glitter. I was Glitter, I think. Okay. It's so good. I remember not long ago, I was like, I put on movies to fall asleep to and I put it in her shoes and I got, I became so riveted by it. I'd seen it before, but I was like so riveted by it that I was up until like 5am watching it because I'm just obsessed with it. It's such a yeah, good movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, but it was um, when it, you know, I've had a book agent for a long time and sort of after, it was after 2016 that I came back to LA and was trying to figure out what am I going to write? What am I going to do? And we were kind of batting back and forth. Originally, I had thought I'm going to write a sort of Bridget Jones on the campaign trail political rom-com. And then I don't know if you guys can imagine or understand this, but after the 2016 election, I didn't want to do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we were like, all right, well, what now? And I tried a bunch of different things and just nothing was making me happy, which like it was early 2017, like nothing was making anyone happy. And then I was like, I had I was just like sitting on the couch watching The Bachelor and I was like, huh, what if The Bachelorette was fat? 
And it was literally just that, right? And I like couldn't get the idea out of my head. And I stayed up until two in the morning, just like writing just a little pitch. And I sent it to my agent. She was like, this is the one go, right? And it was just like, it was just fun. And of course, the more I got into it, the more I was like, oh, this is also like serious because what is it like? And it was actually working for Hillary really informed the way I thought about being a woman in the public space and this idea that total mm. strangers feel like they have ownership over mm. you and that the way they can exert that ownership most powerfully is to comment on your appearance um, mm. and the way that particularly this idea that if you're fat, it's this strike against you that you can never overcome mm-hmm. no matter what. And of course, it isn't right like there's no because there's no winning it's not like thin women have it easy in the public space because the point is the idea that anyone has ownership over women in the first place right so the more I got into it the more I was like oh this is actually like a really a thing that is really capturing my attention and my imagination I'm excited to write about it but then also I get to write a love story where the protagonist has like 20 love interests so that was fun too. so you know as someone who has not read a romance novel in his life what like do you mind me asking or perhaps you're missing out I don't, I don't disagree. There are a lot of excellent but, gay rom-coms too. I have to oh, say. I, I, I yeah. believe it. Elliot, Elliot has a whole bookshelf that he'd be happy to loan me. But, uh, but, uh, what, like, what is a sex scene like in a romance novel? Is it, I have no idea. What's it like? Tell some of our listeners who haven't read these romance novels. So there's a whole spectrum, right? And I would say I'm probably on the the much milder end of the spectrum. Like one to watch barely had any description of anything too specific and was nevertheless mortifying to know that everyone in my family was reading. My my next (laughs) novel, which comes out this fall, is again on the mild end of things, but slightly more specific. And I'm already like, oh, we got to get a redacted copy for my dad. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. Rob Stamen, I'm so sorry, dad. I love you so much. I'm so sorry. But there are also like right now, um, this book, Fourth Wing, which is the the dragon sex book, as I, as I refer to it colloquially, <laughs> is like this, this giant bestseller, right? Like biggest book uh-huh. of 2023. And, and that is like, if you, if you were just writing down what happened in porn, that is what is going on in this God, book. Like it is, just deeply specific beat by beat stroke by stroke here's what's going on when these two people have sex so i think you know it really and then you have things like you know jasmine guillory who's wonderful she wrote a book for disney called by the book and of course it's for disney so it's going to be what they call a closed door romance which is what you think of as in a movie where you know oh the the fire is roaring and the wind is at the window and the door is closed and we're not actually going to see Oh my god! So so romance novels for evangelical Christians, I guess, right? <laughs> which is a thing, right? Like yeah. it is, it is a, that is absolutely a space. And I remain shocked whenever I see you know people read my book and then they follow me on Instagram and I'll see someone who's mm-hmm. like, you know, Midwest mom, love Jesus, like whatever, and you know, right, and they right. and they love my book, and I'm like you know what? I've spent a lot of my life advocating for abortion and I'm thrilled to have you and I hope you enjoyed it. Absolutely. Your next book is is YA or did I make that up? You did make that up. It's not. Okay, I made that up. But it's (laughs) about vampires. You're you're doing fiction too. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's about vampires. It's called Fang Fiction and it'll be out October 1st, um, which is also my birthday, which is wild. Um, A week before my birthday. Look at us, Libras. No wonder we're so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I want to go back for just a second. You were talking about the, the horror of your parents reading your romance novels. Oh, My mom very recently was like, you know, we're 282 episodes into this podcast. And she's like, I want to start Ooh. listening to your podcast. Oh, no. And I was like, you can't. Um, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, they don't know how to download them. And they still call them websites sometimes. She's like, I want to listen to your website. I'm like, it's a podcast. Uh... But I actually started the process where I was like, I don't want to exclude her. So I'm like, maybe I will listen back to certain episodes and edit them edit them so my mom doesn't have to hear me talk about how slutty elliot ah, is <laughs> my mom it's all about elliot that's that's the bottom line my somehow. mom definitely listens she definitely listens and she enjoys <clears throat> and we yes, love that and we support her 110 percent. now knows uh so wait kate so I, I would like to talk more about the bachelor but we have a limited <laughs> amount of time <laughs> you are a bachelor fanatic and I, it's fascinating to me because I don't <clears throat> I've you've been helpful in helping me understand like what it is I, I still don't like fully don't wrap my head around like why it exists meaning like the, the artifice of it is so baffling to me yes <laughs> but do you how do you why do you love it so much well and I will say full disclosure that sort of after one to watch came out and I was basically you know promoting the book and talking nonstop about the bachelor after having written about a fake version of the bachelor for for about four years straight I was like I may be done with this show so I haven't I haven't watched it in several years um but the thing that I actually loved about it at the time was the opposite of what you just said actually was was the non-artifice of it was sort of like at the heart of like these stupid fake dates and these obvious reality tv gimmicks and this one is the villain and that one is the and like it's all so fucking fake and despite all of that these people are like really falling in love on tv and you're watching it happen some of them are you know ryan and trista are still together bless their hearts you love the golden bachelor no i haven't watched that one but oh. people love that one. Yeah. I, see. I always, I always see, thought I, the Bachelor yeah. and Bachelorette were just sort of like drag race for straight people. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it feels like the only thing that they discuss. And when it happens, when it starts, when the conversation, also Vanderpump Rules too, I feel like straight people love. And it just, when the conversation. I do still love Vanderpump yeah, and Rules. When the, I am prepared to talk about Scandaball as When the conversation <laughs> starts, I'm immediately like, okay, I'll go back to RuPaul. You you have this. You mm-hmm. have this. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Vanderpump Rules crosses I'm sure lines. there are homosexuals who love Vanderpump Rules. I just find that the same type of people who obsessively talk about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are also talking about Vanderpump Rules and not The Housewives in the way I talk about The Housewives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Just saying. Maybe I'm a um, super faggot. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, why choose? Why choose? It's just me. I'm just going to be me. Yeah. The, the other big, uh, 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 at least a significant part of you in, in my life is that you were the first person to really lay out for me the queer lady um, uh, conspiracy theories around because t- you're a huge I knew this Taylor is where Smith we were fan. going. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the first time that I'd been really like given insight into this 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 dialogue that was happening around Taylor and, and we've since had we had Jill Gutowitz who's an incredible writer on the Jill. show. Yeah, and she she really laid out the the sort of conspiracy theories around Taylor too, which obviously have been 
I guess, dispelled by Team Taylor by now. But all that being said, <laughs> explain the uh, in your Taylor explain Swift the Jody uh, Foster Golden Globe speech of Taylor Swift. That's what Taylor Swift. That's exact. That is a beautiful comparison. Yeah, tell me what what speech. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. Then. So the Golden Globes a couple of years ago, uh, Jody Foster was one of the youngest winners of the Lifetime Achievement Awards at the Golden Globes <laughs> because she's been around forever and she is queen lesbian. Anyway. Everyone knew she was lesbian, but she had never really publicly come out. And then she gave this speech where she basically was sort of being like, and I love my friend, partner, per, uh, best friend. Person. It was a very, I actually just watched it again recently. And it's very, it's actually uncomfortable. Yeah, it's really it weird. So she came out not, and didn't come out. But that's the speech. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry, Kate. Yeah. And it, is, it has been really nice this award season to see her just out with her wife yeah. on the carpet, doing mm. the circuit and like playing an out lesbian in Nyad and being nominated for that work. And I'll just say one of my best friends wrote that movie. So oh. I'm just a huge, I'm team Nyad cheerleader. Well, gonna, you should um, listen so to my really interview great. with both Jodie Foster and Annette Benning. Oh yeah. my goodness. They, I heard you talking about the, the little clip that you yeah. played on the podcast. Yeah. And I was, I was texting. I was like, Julia Allen said such nice things about Nyad. <laughs> I'm a big, I'm a big supporter of it. It's such a wonderful wonderful movie oh that's yeah. so great um i i totally agree um so yes yeah, so i so if you're a person who believes that taylor swift is gay and you participate in that fandom on the internet and i will say i'm saying gay meaning queer right some version of queer um that that's called that's called a gayler um and <laughs> And it's now become a very mainstream thing. In the year of our Lord 2014, when my friend Kiria <laughs> and I listened to 1989 and we're like, is it us or is this shit really gay? It was not a mainstream thing. Oh. At that time, if you wanted to be involved in Gaylor conspiracy theories, you had to go to Tumblr. Tumblr was the only place for you. It was the only place for me. Um, and so, so that happened in 2014. Then 2015, I go to work for Hillary. I'm, you know, sort of not engaging with pop culture in any meaningful way. 2017, I come back. I had this horrible experience of like a really bad pile on on Twitter. I had like posted some nice photos of my friends from the campaign. And um, I don't know why that it made the internet very angry. Um, and so a lot of people were like, oh, you should kill yourself. And I was like, I'm gonna get off Twitter. Um, and I was like, you know what I'm gonna do is wholesale replace this with gay Taylor Swift conspiracy Tumblr. And I have never made a better decision for my mental health in my entire life. Um, and so, and that was during the reputation era, which is my my favorite era and also I would argue the most sort of overtly gay era which is saying something because well, in you know the lead video for lover she is like literally leading a pride parade yeah isn't that isn't that the era where Gail right. King was in leather in the music video wasn't that that era? everyone was in leather in those music yeah but Gail King was the most important person <laughs> in leather in that music video so which I I'm interviewing Gail King tomorrow morning and I will ask her about <gasps> that thank you thank bring you. it wow. up yes yeah, so um, back at that time, I will say it felt a little bit, it was more fun. And it was a lot about like, what are the secret meanings in the lyrics and what are the hints she's dropping for us? And now that she's become this sort of unrivaled global superstar mm -hmm. where everyone is sort of grasping for pieces of her, it, you know, she was obviously was very big and 2017, 2018, kind of when I was on Tumblr talking and writing an embarrassing amount about this. Um, but now it's sort of, it feels kind of 
gross now in a way that it didn't then. Well, I don't know. I this is no, I'm not a I'm not a Swifty at all. I can say that pr- pretty proudly. But I will say that w- that's nothing to be I proud know, about. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. But when I see when I see Taylor and what's the, who's the who's the ketchup guy? Travis, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. Yeah, he's not. It's I always think ketchup when I hear his name. Um, but he, <laughs> when they kiss and when she is being lovey on him. It does kind of scream office lesbian. It does. It there is really yes because the kiss. It just, this is a great take. It seems so fake to me. It seems so. A Travis just seems like oh I got this superstar where she's all like I'm gonna I'm gonna run to the field and make this a thing and it just feels like 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 Deborah's trying really hard and we know she lives with her roommate slash best friend <laughs> like it just. Just, and she's like really trying to sell this lady at the Christmas party, this guy at the Christmas party. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. Yeah, I do. And especially early on, like when he showed up at the, you know, the show in Argentina yeah. and she was running to kiss him and changing the lyric. I felt like she's selling me something. Yes. And why? Yes. Why? Yeah. I don't I don't need to be sold anything. Exactly. Right. And I yeah. and I hope, you know, she's a person who brings me a lot of joy. I hope she's so happy. Yeah. Right. And that's really the thing about it. I hope I kind of hope the Travis stuff isn't fake because it would just, it would make me so sad if it was fake. Like, and it's just like, I hope, I hope she's just super in love and super happy. And I hope that's great. And also like, I don't know if you guys, um, ever watched the good place but there's this like scene where um one of the characters tahani is like walking down this hall and behind each door people are talking about her and like the test she has to pass is like can she get to the end of the hallway without opening up the door to see what they're saying about her and if she can get to the end of the hall she's going to heaven and if she can't get to the end of the hall she's going to hell and if one of those doors said the truth about taylor swift's sexuality i would be fucking going to hell because i would not be able to walk by i just like i have to i i just have to know you're gonna hold on for hold on for dear life yeah just look at the gail well well Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, uh, Kate Stamen London, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you on the internet? Where can they follow you and buy your books? Oh my gosh. Well, anywhere books are sold, but obviously I encourage you to patronize your local independent bookstore. They are wonderful places. Go in, mm-hmm. talk to your bookseller, make a friend. Um, One to Watch is out now. Fang Fiction will be out in October. I am underscore KSL on Twitter, where I never post anymore, and <laughs> underscore, underscore. KSL on Instagram, <laughs> which when I signed up for that handle, I was like, who's fucking underscore KSL? Like, who took it? And then, like, months later, I decided to check it, and it was a picture of my stepmother. It was me, and I had just forgotten that, uh, I had, <laughs> that I had already. But anyway, it's two underscores. <laughs> That's so funny. Thank you, Thanks so much, Kate. Thank you. Have a great night, guys. And another thing. So if you guys were to open up a business, a small business, let's say, doing your part for the American dream, living your American dream, what would that small business look like to you? Brent? Well, let's start with Elliot because I think he posed this question and I'm mm. I'm still struggling to figure out mm. like my dream business. Okay. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I the reason I thought of this question was because recently I was... Um, um, uncling to my two and a half year old niece while, mm-hmm. while she was in LA wow, with the you family. Love, you relished. Which I loved, relished every minute of it. And, right. you know, she's two and a half. So 
you know, the options are sort of limited. You know, she's not old enough to be doing fully, you know, you can't like take her to the gay bars. Things. Yeah. You can't do the things <laughs> right, that you would right. do. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. But she's also not a, an infant who wants to go to a, like, who could just could like be in a stroller yeah. in a museum just sleeping. Right. So she's sort of at that perfect age where you're not quite sure what to do. And I found a place in LA that's, I forget the name of it, Easton Museum or something. It's something, a children's museum on the West side. That's, Less of a museum and more somewhere between Discovery Zone. Yes. Yeah. And a museum for kids. It's somewhere in the middle where it's super physical and there's all these different elements like a um, like a kitchen area, a grocery store, this sort of like story time playpen. There's Mm -hmm. um, uh, roped or netted like tubes that she was crawling through in the ceiling mm-hmm. where she's basically like mid, like she's in the air crawling through the air in netting all these different elements, some digital, a mm-hmm. lot of analog. And it was so cool and so fun for her because it was geared towards engagement and, yeah. you know, stimulation, but it wasn't stupid, mm-hmm. but it also yeah. wasn't heavy handed in the way that it was educational. And I thought, Man, not only do I want to get up in those nets and crawl through, <laughs> crawl through, but I was like, it would be cool to open a business where I combined this with the adult version of that. Mm. So, like, like I like indoor rock climbing sometimes. The idea of getting to do that while my kid or whomever gets to do their thing, and there's a bar. You know, yeah. maybe there's video games of some kind, or maybe there aren't. There's a bar, <laughs> which but is a combo, which is, which is fine for Elliot and and Alan and I. But like, if you put a bar around parents, that means there's gonna be a fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In almost any other setting outside of like meek gay men, there's gonna be fighting involved. <laughs> so we can we can omit the bar. I think Elliot was just trying to get me excited. Yeah. This, but no, I continue. no, I'm I, I think I'm thinking of like a if I think it could be a cool there's that there's a place here in LA downtown called uh 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 two bit circus mm. and it's like a sort of weirdly non-corporate arcade for adults and some kids where they do escape rooms but all yeah. these video games that are like not super corporate arcade games they're more like stuff you'd see by develop indie developers or whatever and there's a bar and there's escape rooms and some physical stuff and i'm like it would be so cool to do a combo you know where it's like kid friendly and there's drinks and there's immersive stuff and there's technology i don't know what that is i guess it's sort of like an indoor fun zone Mm -hmm. but there is a a cool business there is a there's a, a what's called the hands-on museum in, in my hometown of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it is really a phenomenal. It's a phenomenal space. It's kind of what you're describing, Sands Bar, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, you know, it's like thirty bucks. It's like a museum, and and there's I mean, literally hundreds of dis, of like science displays that are of is course it for you kids know, or adults or for kids. It's all for kids. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I remember going when I was a kid and, you know, it was just it was just such a cool place um, to kind of explore. They have like holograms. There's like this one room where you can like watch a video and it's like it's like a hologram. It's very strange, but it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another thing where you kind of you, you can walk up this small ladder and you're and you're facing what looks to be sort of like a satellite dish and you talk into it. And there's another satellite dish across the room, maybe 30 feet away. And. 
it, it just, you know, the, it's trying to kind of showcase how, si- how sound waves travel yeah, and they yeah. can be kind of corralled for a certain viewer. And you can have a whisper conversation with a friend who's at, you know, 30 feet away by speaking into this like huge satellite dish that's faced facing in the other direction as, as wow. your friends. So you yeah. These, these like science centers are like so cool for kids. And I still have fond memories they... except for the one where we saw an IMAX movie and they were like warning us that it might be a lot to take in. And I threw up from anxiety, just thinking about seeing <laughs> oh an IMAX God. movie just from thinking about it. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, the risks seem outrageous. I'm the opposite in that, like, when I was a kid, I hated places like that because I was just like, I just want, like, to sit and watch TV. Like, I don't need all yeah, of this shit. You know I what I mean? It. And it just felt like I had to force, like, I was forced to play with idiots. And it just, it just felt, it literally, <laughs> it literally just felt like. like idiots. You mean your brothers? Yes, what you, yes, you constantly call yes, them idiots? Yeah. yeah. But also just other kids, because they're all just fucking dumb. I can um, so see you as a kid calling other kids idiots. Yeah. These, these idiots that I have. I to have a Jodie Foster movie to go films. watch. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> which is not a lie. I still, I literally, in my interview, I told Jodie Foster how my mom took me out of school to see Home for the Holidays when I was like. <laughs> When I was like 11 years old, because I had to. Um, oh my God. And she wasn't even in the movie. She directed it. That's how much of a fan I oh, was. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, no, if I had to open a bit, I mean, I, I respect anyone who opens up a small business because, like, it is, it does not, it is not an easy thing. And, like, I could, I, the yeah. ad ambition is not a thing that I have. Um, but if I were to open up a small business, I, I kept thinking like what I would love and what would be fun. And like one of the things that I love, two of the things I love is like pop culture, Hollywood nostalgia, of course. Like I love that element, but I also love like scents, like candles and perfumes and like things like that. So I feel like I would probably, and this sounds so gross, but I would probably do like candles and perfumes and stuff that are like, that give off the inspired. No, well, no, not that, but give off the, well, I guess inspired. Would you say expired or inspired? Inspired. Oh, I think it said expire. I was like, no, they don't have an ex- expiration date. These careers are forever. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, that inspire sort of like the the scent of what the essence, the essence of what like Blanche on the Golden Girls would smell like, yes. or like yes. what like you know what I mean. Like I would I would give off that smart idea. The jeans. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I feel like that would be a fun thing to do. Um, yeah. It would fun. be a copyright nightmare, but it would be a fun thing to do. Certainly would. Yeah. yeah. Now, Brent, um, we're gonna. I'm assuming we're gonna talk about a massage studio <laughs> where you choose the clients and you pay them. <laughs> massage oh. by Brent. I choose you. <laughs> I pay you. <laughs> Good lord. So, um, I honestly, I couldn't think of anything. I, I will say, sort of touching upon this. Every time I meet someone who has an Etsy page, I become wildly jealous because oh. it's, it's always sounded like like such a fun easy thing if you had like like the easiest the simplest would be like if you're a calligrapher Mm. you know there are like calligraphers on on etsy obviously for weddings or you know wedding invitations or whatever and i would just oh my god i would love it like waking up in the morning being like you know checking your email you have three orders and you got to go write some bitch's name on like a a note card and then and then you ship it off you made 40 bucks it just sounds some bitch's name who paid you to send her a product who paid you it's true it's a great connection this bitch i think thanks for the order bitch (laughs) i think there should be a i feel like we should you should do like an what are those stores called like prep 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 
preparedness stores, like survivalist oh, yeah. stores. Survival is actually one around the corner from me. <laughs> yeah, I can. You have like there's like bear spray, oh. Narcan, like like you know high grade like oh. condoms. Oh, you know what's you know what's all right. So this is all right. I will tell you. I will tell you. I I just remembered this. I oddly sort of similar piggybacking on what you've described, Elliot. Um, I have always wanted to open up. A, like an adult adventure center and but like fill it full of things that people always have always think about like what's that like but then never get the chance to try it oh mm. <laughs> you're gonna think of you're gonna think this one's crazy but like one <laughs> this is the dumbest example uh they would normally be fun but like you know like when you do indoor skydiving like oh, yeah that one, like i think it would have like one of those but for me i'm not kidding I always, when I lived in New York, there were always these awful stories about people who would jump down onto the train track to get like uh, their cell phone that they had dropped and then they couldn't get back up in time and then they would get hit by the train. So I was like, I would, <laughs> I would set up, what? I would no, set up Brand, uh, no. like a, like a, like an actual track where like a train is like a video train is coming and you have to jump down <laughs> onto the train track to get your cell phone and you'll see how easy or hard it is to get back up. That is how fun. That is so dark. That's so, so we're talking an immersive, immersive experience. So all the experiences are going to have to be based around sudden death. No, guillotines. His other room. His other room is a plane crashing. <laughs> another, again, another one is an execution line. <laughs> Historical execution. Line. It's like Brent's Ripley's Believe It or Not, but like everyone. <laughs> leaves sh- shaking fr- fr- shaking in fear <laughs> trembling in fear what would your aunt say Brent what would your aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's show I've been waiting 282 episodes and I finally get my Jennifer Weiner shout out <laughs> Um, my aunt Joanne would say, I would watch The Bachelor if it was Jewish. <laughs> I don't, has there ever been a Jewish Bachelor or Bachelor? I'm sure there has, oh, right? I but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I, sure the production team has some Jewish folks. Oh, wow. 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 Brand. Wow. <laughs> what about Aunt Anne? Aunt Anne would say, I have a great small business idea. Whenever you make little treats at home, I'll come and I'll taste them to see if they're good or not. <laughs> I'll be a taste tester for little I love for little that. treats, just little I love treats. That. That's like actually a great. That's a great idea. Yeah, have treats, will um, travel. That's right. Why well, everyone <laughs> join our Patreon? You're making it worse at patreon.com. And thank you for listening. Good night and good luck. <laughs>